Hey, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jarrett Fuller, and this is my podcast about design criticism and practice. On this week's episode, I am talking to the designer, the performance artist, the YouTuber, and the educator, Elliot Earls. For the last 15 years, Elliot has been the artist in residence and head of Cranbrook's 2D design department, where he's cultivated this really uh, interesting, tight-knit graduate program. And he recently started Studio Practice, which is a YouTube channel that aims to be, as Elliot says, your no-bullshit resource for those things that animate the artist and designer studio. In this really wide-ranging episode, Elliot and I talk about his own background from apprenticing with a painter as a teenager to getting fired from his first design job to starting at Cranbrook and consciously building a, an alternative design practice. We also talk about critique and its role in both undergraduate and graduate education and how to make it something more than something that's just merely prescriptive. And we talk about the relationship between theory and making and how to embed theoretical concepts into your work without letting it get in the way of the actual, the actual making part. This was a really inspiring conversation for me. I've gotten so much from watching Elliot's studio practice videos over the years, and I've put links in the show notes to the channel as well as the individual episodes we mentioned, so I encourage you to take a look and watch those. And I just really admire him for his work and how he thinks about his work and what he's doing out at Cranbrook. So I know I got a lot out of this conversation, and I hope that you do too. So here is my conversation with Elliot Earls. following your work for quite a few years now and kind of know you as uh, as a designer but also as an educator but I don't actually know a lot of your kind of background information or how you actually got into design and yeah. I, I know you you studied graphic design in, in your undergraduate right yes I did yeah and so were you uh, what I'm curious about is were you thinking at the time that you wanted to be kind of a classic practicing designer or what were your interests when you were that age or kind of what were you were you after yeah um when i was when i was about 16 uh i was much more um athletically inclined or okay. interested i should say than than academically um okay and so i ended up i ended up being very interested in uh in art my mom you know, mentioned to me that graphic design is a way of, um, was a way of making money as an artist among right. other things. Right. Uh, and to make a long story short, I ended up, um, apprenticing, uh, and that's pretty, that's a pretty accurate, accurate word, um, for what I actually did with a, with a painter, uh, who taught, um, at the Baker Hunt Foundation in Covington, Kentucky. I would go to his house his brownstone in Covington about three days a week uh, or two days a week for from the time I was about 16 through college. And he, you know, he was um, he was a college professor at times, but he was primarily a, uh, a painter. And so he taught me, you know, we went over in, in very um, 
in a very conversational way, but a very intense way. Arnheim's art and visual perception and, and, uh, yeah, like, uh, traditional oil painting techniques like grisaille and glazes. And I was actually, you know, I was, I was painting and, and making work. And my mom's, my mom's goal was, uh, to have me put together a portfolio for uh, for to to get into um, a graphic design program. So okay, f- yeah. So from the jump, I think that um, my my entry points to or my primary perspective on on graphic design w- was really informed uh, as an artistic practice. Right. So did you know that this is this is something that I think about a lot where I I went into my undergraduate education thinking that I knew what graphic design was and what it meant to be a graphic designer. And then I started working and kind of all of those preconceived notions kind of fell away. And I realized that it could be all these other areas of practice that I didn't, that I wasn't aware of. And I'm sensing that maybe you had the opposite of that, where maybe you didn't have those, kind, like, did you know what you you would be doing or what that meant at the time? Yeah. I, I mean, I feel like, I feel like in undergraduate school, I had a, a, a pretty, pretty solid foundation. Uh, I did, I did, um, uh, I did find myself become, becoming very, very frustrated. And I think that the reason why is because there was a, there was a, a real emphasis on, on building, you know, foundational skills. And I was always looking at projects and attempting to kind of redefine them based upon my own interests. And, um, so, you know, I, I guess what happened was that I am a, I tend to be, you know, a very ambitious person. So when I did find out, when I, when I, when I began to find out what design culture was all about, I set my sights on, on, uh, <laughs> on trying to identify what the, what I thought the kind of most prestigious, best New York, uh, design firms were and, uh, and attempted to, to, uh, to work for them. I, I think that my experience within commercial design, to answer it in a more succinct way, was a series of, uh, I guess, disappointments um, mm-hmm. when confronted with the kind of uh, the kind of commercial reality realities of the field. Uh, with regard, I mean, in contrast to what I what I hoped that that the field would be. Um, yeah, and was that was that. I don't mean to kind of project onto your story no, or what, what you may have been feeling at the time, but I'm wondering, was that kind of coming from this artistic background? And I know you've talked a lot about kind of authorship and the designer's voice within their work. Were you just feeling that you weren't getting that or kind of what were, the, where, what were those frustrations? Uh, well, I, I think there was a frustration initially where, where I, 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 I graduated from from school, um, and uh, you know, I design firms have to make money. They they have they have right. staffs, and um, as a junior designer, I I consider myself incredibly idealistic um, to a fault in a way. Um, and so I found I found you know the, these disappointments just being that the the level of compartmentalization of the field um, and then also just how how in, in in to some degree at least in my experience early um, how unambitious uh, intellectually how unambitious I felt uh, that at least 
many of the commercial experiences that I had um, were not all of them, mind you, not all of them. I, I don't know if I'm answering in too oblique of a way. I'll just give yeah. a, like a two sentence, okay. two sentence thing, which is that you know I got fired from I I I I got a job at um, a pretty great New York design firm and, and was released uh, you know as a 23 year old 11 months after after taking the job over and and it, it was in 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 part because I was. I had a, a level of incompetence to me. I mean, I think it was competent in other ways, but a level of incompetence to me. But also my unwillingness, I think, in, in ways to mm-hmm. to see um, to see the type of work that oftentimes is necessary to be done in a firm as as um, as interesting. Now, I think that a lot of that was arrogance that I don't believe that I possess any longer. <laughs> Uh, I think that's both been beaten out of me and it's matured out of me. Do you know what I mean? Which yeah. is that I, I get it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's interesting. So is that, I mean, that does, that does start to kind of answer what I was kind of thinking about, which is, I'm just kind of wondering where I listened to an interview that you had done, um, kind of in, in preparation for this conversation. And you'd mentioned, in that that you kind of see your work as kind of having these three tenants and there's the commercial work there's the education kind of practice and then there's what you what you called experimental work yeah. and i was curious kind of where those came about but it sounds like you kind of always had an interest in all of those from a from a the very beginning yeah 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 no i i i remember you know i remember distinctly being uh, in a two D two dimensional design class in undergraduate school and, and, um, being ex- extremely frustrated by the, the manner in which the instructor, the teacher that I had was really attempting to kind of rein in, rein in what I, what I wanted to do. And my, my goal and my goal with my students has always been to allow, to have a set of objectives that, uh, a set of you know, very concrete objectives that that are really important and and you know principle based or foundational. As long as those things are accomplished in the course of any project, then you know the the I, th- I believe that the nature of of uh, powerful education is to light a fire. You know, to right. light a fire in the right. students. And and so I you know I I I think that I've I've always just had a different perspective on what um, what contemporary design, graphic design, communication design could be. I think that the people that I've surrounded myself with in the graduate program at Cranbrook, both my graduate students and my fellow colleagues for the past 15 years, I mean, I think are a living testament to that. I think there's there's a type of work that we're doing and a type of work that my, my some of my graduate students or many of my graduate students who have moved on are doing that's really largely unrecognized by, by you know, the field of design. And I'm, I'm completely fine with that because history will be the judge and, and um, in my, uh, you know, in my right. in my humble estimation, they'll, they'll, they'll judge very, very, uh, very kindly. <laughs> right, right. Was that what? I mean, Cranbrook has always had. I feel like has always had that kind of of reputation. Is that what attracted you to them from the beginning? Is why you kind of even wanted to go to study there? Yeah, I I, uh, I was after I got fired from New uh, from a design firm in New York. Um, I, I ended up, uh, a buddy of mine from undergrad was very gracious and, and invited me to, uh, to meet his boss in, in New Canaan, Connecticut. The, 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 the boss, the guy that ran this design firm, um, was a graduate of the Yale MFA, uh, mm-hmm. department and, uh, before Sheila, um, oh, okay. right before, right before Sheila took over. And so I was working with a bunch of 
well, I was working with a handful of uh, Yale MFA grads from from a different generation, mind you. And, um, you know, I, obviously that's an excellent uh, that's an excellent um, institution. However, the point being that when I was looking at schools, the at least at that point, the the people that I had come into contact with um, were more they were more uh, kind of out of the IBM business right. design model. Yeah. And and that was what I was that was really what I was reacting against. I mean, right. it was high design. It was extremely well done. The typography was beautiful. But I I, I mean, I had a I had a uh, Saab 900 that was metallic baby blue and I, I wore a tie and I was like, I don't want to I don't want to do this. <laughs> right. I really right. did not want to do this. So then when I when I was researching schools and I, I, I um, landed it in um, in Bloomfield Hills at Cranbrook, Scott and Laurie Makala, Laurie had just had a baby. There was a baby in the studio there. The studio, there were dogs hang, uh, walking around and the McCoys were I mean, it was just it was such a different thing. It was so countercultural to what what yeah. I had seen in design that it, to me, it just made so much sense. It was like I wanted to go. I wanted to study at Cranbrook so, so badly, actually. How I'm, I, I have a question. I don't know exactly yeah. how to phrase it. Um, I'm, I'm trying to articulate it and it's, it's kind of what you were just talking about and something that I think about a lot and has come up in a lot of the conversations that I have on this podcast, I think because of, of just my kind of deep interest in it, um, when you're talking about kind of being close to people in the Yale MFA program and kind of the, the IBM kind of corporate style. And I know, I know you've kind of written a lot about Paul Rand and something that's very interesting to me is how there's this sort of uh, canonical design or, or you know, when you look at design history, there's kind of this collection of things that are considered, this is what graphic design is. Um, right. and, and that you at a young age were kind of reacting to that. And even now you as a teacher and as an educator are kind of talking about how your students are reacting to that. And I, I'm, I'm curious on kind of, like I said, I don't know exactly how to articulate this, but your thoughts on being an educator and, and working with students to, to how, how you show that kind of what you're taught in design history is not the only way. Well, to yeah, Do you know what I mean? that, that is an excellent question, an excellent question. And the one of the, I think you know, I, I, I think I say this enough whenever I'm interviewed, but I, 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 I want to make sure that I, I give a tremendous amount of credit to Kathy and Michael McCoy in my own life by modeling um, a certain type of behavior. When they were the heads of the Cranbrook Design Department when I when I was a student here, and the point is this: is that in the in the kind of founding documents of Cranbrook, all the artists and residents are drawn upon to to you know be practicing designers and artists and to model a specific type of behavior and i take that i take that mm. i mean i take that so seriously not because it's in some founding documents but because that's the type of life that i want to live so, it's, so right. to answer your question very directly you know as an example we have mentoring um, is is a is a critical component of the educational experience at Cranbrook. There is no place to hide for an artist in residence. If you don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> or if you're yeah. if you're uh, you know if you're 
practice is built on a throne of lies, the students will know instantly. Right. And, and the, the, the point is, is that so a critical component of structurally what I do is I, I bring students individually and in, in small groups um, into my studio at least one, or once a week. Um, we do other things as well, but one very specific thing that we do is is that um, and I, I show them. I literally show them what, what I'm working on and I talk to them about the integration of my family and my life and mm-hmm. I try to model a specific type of, of behavior and I, right. you know, I'll, I'll, I'll discuss absolutely everything with them about the type of work that I'm doing except for the, the literal dollar amounts that I'm charging and, and, and to be honest with you, if one of my students pressed me on it, I would talk to them about that. I try, I try to be, tra- I try to, with my, with my graduate students, I try to be absolutely transparent and I try to make sure that they can see that I'm doing, I'm doing, at times my studio is overwhelmed with commercial work, at times my studio is overwhelmed with, um, with experimental work, at times, you know, I'm right. struggling at times. Shit is popping, you know, so. Right, right. So I don't, I mean, I see, uh, just to wrap that up, I, 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 I thought, I thought I've given careful consideration to it and I take my role as a mentor very, very seriously. And I, I, I initially thought that was like taking long walks with graduate students on the beach <laughs> and holding hands. Right. And that's not what it is. What it is to me is it's about, it's about giving, giving access to seeing a certain kind of practice and that I, I try to say to my students, like if they're, if we're working, I'll, I'll be talking very specifically about a type of project that I'm working on. And I'll say, look, in my opinion, you don't, you don't need to, even though, you know, the, the discipline would tell you, or your friends would tell you, you need to focus on these set of issues. I think that's, that's immaterial or bullshit, or you don't need to focus on, I think you need to focus on this. In my experience, this, these are the, these are, these are the things. Right. 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 Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that's something that I think about a lot. And I think is, is probably why I was so drawn to, to the YouTube series studio practices. When I think about my work, uh, both as a, as a practicing designer, but then also as a critic or, or as a design writer, so much of the design discourse today is about kind of looking at the objects, looking at the finished project, looking at the product. But there's all this other discussion that needs to happen around the actual making that often doesn't get talked about out in the open. Is that, do you find that that's kind of why students are, attracted to Cranbrook or, or is that something that you feel is lacking in, in, in kind of young designers today? Yeah. Is, is that kind of really well, people, thinking about their own practice and how they're working instead of, you know, kind of, it comes back to the last question, I guess, trying to make work that fits into that canon. You know what I mean? Yeah. Need, needless to say, I, I think if, if I have a, if I have a public reputation within design at all, I think it would be that at least in part a critic of, of, of contemporary mainstream practice and i think that that's that is a that's a major component of it and i think you could find plenty of graduate schools that focus on you know focus on end results and they focus on them well they focus right. on them well that's that's to, it's totally fine i mean look you know i'm i'm obviously i think i'm doing the right thing i believe in <laughs> what i'm doing but i don't think it's the right thing for everyone i don't think it's the right thing for everyone but to, to, uh, to again to to try to disambiguate disambiguate for lack of a better word your 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 uh, your question. You know, one of the big issues is that that I 
that that you know that the form that the work takes to my mind is inextricably linked and comes flows inexorably out of the kind of um, the fertile soil of of um, of the um, of the core values, for lack of a better word, of the designer, of right. the lifestyle of the designer. And that, you know, you would think in a graduate school that we spend a lot of time beating people up over, over kerning or talking about, you know, talking about, time. we don't, we, we don't, we, you know, that, that right. shit is, that shit is so immaterial. To, right. And I'll, just one quick anecdote, which is, you know, um, early in my career, I, I worked for a, uh, I worked for a woman who, um, was absolutely fabulous, uh, fabulous typographer and could look at, you know, look, could scan a, a, a typeset page and could, could tell you immediately every FI or FL ligature that you left out or could tell you what the, what, you know, in terms of classical typography, what the problems were, but, but, you know, lost the forest for the trees, couldn't see that the work was devoid of any form of emotion, any form of soul in any way, shape or form. And the work was not moving in right. any way. So, you know, those those foundational components of graphic design, and I, I mean, I really hate to say this, but in my opinion, it's true, which is that if you think about it, if you think about what you learn in undergraduate school when you take away all, – and look, I didn't party. I really didn't party at all. I was really serious, but um, I wasn't a partier. But if you take away all the partying, all the fucking – Right. All the 18-year-old excuses that you come up with and you compress all of your all of your actual core – curriculum graphic design classes down you could learn you could learn the the foundational components of the graphic design discipline in about six months if you're an adult you know what i mean like right. so that that the big the, the the issues are so much deeper than that and it's so frustrating to to to, to deal to to really be to really be um, enmeshed in a field that, that to my mind you know yeah the, the level yeah. of discourse is sophomoric yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that we are speaking the exact same language here. And I feel I feel like that's been a lot of of kind of what this podcast has, has become in a lot of ways is is a, a bit of my journey in in realizing as being that undergrad student who is, you know, in love with being that guy that could kind of, you know, pick out the different typefaces when you're walking down the street or to, you know, make fun of the kerning between letters and then just realizing that that's something that anyone could learn very easily. And that's not actually where the interesting part of all of this is. That's right. And so, and, and that, that kind of revelation that the form of something is not just style is not just this kind of surface level decoration, but is actually a container for all of these other ideas that, the designer, that culture, that politics, that That's you right. know, all of that bring into the work itself. That's right. Yeah, How, absolutely. Do, do you find uh, I have kind of a two part question, and I I hope that this is not oversimplifying things, but I'm interested if. And I, I get that I, I I see very very clearly that that's kind of how you approach your own own work and and how you approach kind of teaching and educating also i'm curious if if the students who who come into your program are they already thinking that way or is that something that you kind of have to nudge them towards yeah. and then mm -hmm. if if they're not thinking that way is that kind of a shock or or 
do they have their own revelations to kind of opening up to this new way of thinking about their work? Um, I would say that um, I, I believe that 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 my department, that the Cranbrook 2D department, draws uh, students who are aware of something strange going on and mm-hmm. most of the students who study in the department they are highly informed about what that is so they'll either and I, I look I encourage people to do this and if anyone's listening that you know that that fly to fly to Detroit and um, and uh, talk to my assistant and make a make a meeting with me um, and so uh, many, many of the most of the students that are here uh, have done their research fairly well. Now, mm. I would say that you hear over and over and over and over again about a kind of shock that that inevitably sets in sometime in October, um, where they don't know really what's happening. <laughs> they can't figure out whether anything's happening. Right. And uh, so I think it's a combination of, I really do think it's a combination of both. I feel like we, I have some really informed students about the process, but, you know, as an example, the, the, the studio practice YouTube channel that I, that I started, um, I think there was some concern. There was some concern at, at one point from friends about exposing, giving, giving a, a window into um, a very private process, you know? Oh, interesting. I never thought about it that way. Yeah, yeah, it's like uh, public sourcing of of the right. Of, uh, yeah, like that's what very... people go to Cranbrook for, and you're just kind of, you know, giving pieces of it away. Well, I, yeah, and and I, I think that I think that that um, you know I don't I I don't see it that way at all. I, I I as a matter of fact, I think that there's the possibility for misunderstanding um, the uh, many of the videos as much as there are uh, under. I, now I'm not trying to do that, mind you. I'm trying to be. I'm trying to not be an academic douchebag. I'm trying. I'm trying as hard as I can to speak clearly and to uh, to communicate ideas in a way that I would hope is um, is motivational and trans and uh, not transparent, but is um, you know is um, is clear. And and so, but I, I do think that. That it gives that those videos give uh, some insight into into small portions of what uh, of what we're we're doing, but I, I think that you know that it, a lot of it really can't be contained by by you know seven minute segments. Right. L- let's. Um, I'd like to talk more about studio practice actually, because um, I have a couple questions around it and some and things that I'm very interested in. Um, kind of around the idea and what you're doing there. And, and I've found, I've now been kind of recording these episodes for, for a year now. And so I've gotten to hear from a lot of the different types of people that listen. I found that a lot of students uh, listen to this who are kind of craving a deeper, more intellectual discussion around their work instead of that kind of surface style level critique. But one of the things that I hear from students is that uh, when they try to dip their toe in or try to find texts to read or something, that it's so academic, that it's, you know, this kind of using language that they don't know, that it's this kind of impenetrable text. And that's something that I think is very appealing about what you do is that you're pulling from a lot of these people, but presenting it in a very accessible way. Was that a very conscious decision that you were going to kind of 
you know, break down these philosophers and theorists to, to really connect it to the work? Yeah, but then that, you're right. And man, I feel so passionate about what you just said, dude. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to try and contain myself, which is that um, there's a there's a recurrent motif. There's a recurrent idea in those videos that evidence, and this is really, 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 really important, evidence of intelligence can be found directly in the work. Right, right. Yeah, aside, I think that was your first video. I think you had yeah. that, yeah. Aside from language, aside from language. You know, I believe that academia in most instances um, can almost inevitably produces a kind of narcolepsy. It, it induces in the, in the academic, um, sleep and, and, um, you know, here because of the structure of that, 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 that simply can't happen. And not only can it not happen, but I'm not interested in that anyway, to, to get back to the point, the point is, is that theory to my mind, there are, there are powerful ideas in the world as we all know, but to my mind, they are only powerful um, when they are seen instrumentally as tools. Right. You know, so we all know we all know professors of ours or teachers or friends of ours who who have enormous vocabularies and yet use that vocabulary as a kind of um, as a kind of way of excluding, and right. yet they can't make anything of power. So. You know, I'm, I'm, I believe that I believe that the Cranbrook discourse historically has been one of, you know, a, an extremely high level of formal dexterity, uh, not to pat myself on the back, but I, I believe that about, I, you know, just to be frank about things, I believe that about myself. And I'm trying to communicate both to my graduate students as well as to, you know, a broader audience that powerful ideas are powerful and you can test for them if they have an effect, if they have some kind of effect in the work. So right. yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I, I really, I really have a, a problem with, um, with academic language for academic language sake. Uh, because, because again, you judge, you judge in, in art, in art and design disciplines. And, you know, I think this is a very unpopular thing to say, but you know, judge a teacher based on their work, judge, a <laughs> right. judge a teacher based upon the things that they produce. Um, right. and that can be writing, uh, it could be a podcast, it could be, but, but judge them based upon the quality of the things that they produce, not what they say. Right. And, and I mean, that's the other, I feel like that's the other big component of the studio practice series is that it, you know, I mean, it's literally you in your studio and you are showing you're, con you're not just breaking down the, these kind of academic texts into things that are more accessible using language that makes sense, but you're also connecting it to the work that you're actually doing, which is the other big barrier that I think a lot of people see is it's like, great, I, you know, this, even if I do understand this language, what does this have to do with the actual stuff that I'm making? That's right. Yeah. And so how That's... do you, does that, you did one video and I can't remember what the title of it was, but it was about kind of the parallel tracks of, of theory and making or of kind of thinking and making and how those things interact with each other. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious kind of how that manifests itself in your own, mm -hmm. in your own work. 
Yeah. Um, that's an excellent question. Uh, there, there is a recent video uh, that's a kind of, a, there's a, that's a kind of component of that. And it's, I think it's called, um, energy in the studio. And it basically says something, the effect of like too much, too much, too much, too many words. And it just shows this large uh, painting that I'm working on on my floor. So, you know, the thing that I counsel my students to do, and this is, this is something that again, I'm, I'm ridiculously, almost in, insanely, irrationally passionate about, which is that I believe that intellectual development and formal and 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 making they engage overlapping but diff, different components of mm-hmm. the human intellect and psyche. And so, what I what I'm suggesting is I'm suggesting that people begin to see theory, begin to see watching film, begin to see um, uh, um, uh, the more academic components of their work as riding in a parallel track to making. Right. And that that what ends up what 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 you have to do, I believe, is that, you know, all of my and it's really simple, which is that all the sum total of my experience, Elliot Earle's experience, comes into play in each and every one of the decisions that I make when I'm making a work. Let's say I'm doing some some piece of more traditional but experimental graphic design. Let's say I'm making a poster, an illustrator, and I'm making simple decisions. It's my belief that the sum total of one's experience is is informing things as simple as like where does where does the type go? What does this illustration look like? So so yeah. the thing that the thing that I'm getting at is this, which is that, you know, I counsel my students to and myself to read and to think as deeply as humanly possible and to be as academic and as academically rigorous as possible theoretically about about work. And yet paradoxically, and this is the problem. Paradoxically, when making work, to forget absolutely everything that, that, uh, that, that, right. that you've made. because it doesn't go away. You 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 have to rely. You have to realize that those ideas are still there, and they're. But you you in order to make. It's my belief that in order to make powerful work, if you rely, if you lean into or lean on. Uh, either theory or, 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 for lack of a better word, the kind of world of academic learning. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think that the, I think that the work, the work has no, has in almost all instances has, has no capacity to, to, to move the, move the viewer. It, it lacks soul and it lacks spirit. Right. I, I feel like I, this is is really resonating with something that I've noticed over the last year. In that, I think I in these conversations almost over indexed on the theory side and and almost to to uh the detriment of the form and thinking that design writing or the discourse around design or design criticism or theory or whatever you want to call it should focus on the process should focus on the kind of cultural and political and economic conditions that created that work and and the world that that work goes into and then kind of forgot that the form is important also. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? Where it was yeah, almost I like, do, yeah. and it doesn't matter what typeface you pick. It doesn't matter how it's uh, current. It doesn't matter what colors you use as, you know, the important stuff is all this other stuff. How do you bring those, how, how do you kind of connect those, you know, in those parallel tracks 
but have them so they are talking to each other? I realize that's a really big question, but do you know kind of? Yeah, yeah. No, like, I, I like how you. you find that kind of balance between them, I guess. Yeah, that's. A, I mean, again, I think okay. it's a, it's a it's a good question. I, I, I think that in each, you know, the, the roots, as a as a kind of principle, the 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 the. Um, the roots of of uh, all future projects are present in you know the current in one's current work. Mm-hmm. So, I would say that that the success or failure of any given piece that sometimes I believe I believe that I make you know very successful work for me, and sometimes I make work that's less successful, and sometimes I overreach. Right. Um, I, I really, I, I think that, again, I think that it's my belief that theory is, is a set of, is a, is a set of lenses through which come to a deeper understanding of how the work works. So when I'm making the work, I, I, I'm being, I'm very, very serious in the idea that I bracket off, I bracket off all concern. And I'm talking about all concern for how theoretical concepts come into play in the work. Now, the thing is, is that I, I believe that I can have an informed conversation about a whole host of, um, for lack of a better word, theory. Uh, and I think that I lead my department in that way. And in critique, we engage work very theoretically. But when I'm making work, I'm not thinking about that in any way, shape, or form. And I'm consciously bracketing them that off to be very clear I am vibing on the work and I don't, right. you know, I don't, right. I don't, um, yeah, I, I, I make a, I'm, I make, I, 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 uh, I'm, I'm disciplined about switching yeah. off, switching off the critical voice of judgment while making work. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I watched a, early in my career, I watched, uh, a colleague, a fellow young junior designer at one of the design at this design firm that I was working and and you know it took him you know this to me this was one of these apocryphal stories uh, or that 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 it exemplifies graphic design proper that drives me insane which is you know he had he had all this this uh, swatch book of pms colors out and uh-huh. was select, selecting you know he spent he spent you know three and a half hours trying to decide between uh, a kind of a kind of shade the, like the the infinite shades of pms <laughs> right and i and i just thought this is just wanking, you know, it's like, this is, yeah. this is a, this is a, a bizarre form of, um, of procrastination and fear of failure. Pick a fucking color. <laughs> right. 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 I mean, I, I, I want to kind of use, use that and kind of what you were just saying to connect it to, I've, I've heard a lot about the Cranbrook critique process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so I was one, I, I guess first, I was wondering if you could just kind of explain a little bit about how that works. Sure, um, sure. And then I'd like to kind of connect that to what we were just talking about and how that kind of filters into making making work. Yeah. Um, well, uh, you know, over a 15-year period, I've I've had a front row seat to develop to, to both critique critique right and to experiment with critique in a way that almost no other institution can do and what do i mean by that i mean that we have no there's one 
um, for lack of a better word, faculty member per discipline, there are 15 students uh, total. Okay. And there is no, there are no classes um, and there are no grades. And the, the curriculum is at my discretion. Um, and the, the point behind that is that uh, it is a dynamic system. You know, at any other, at all, nearly any other institution, what you'd have to do is, you know, you'd have to run it up, the, you'd have to run changes up the flagpole with either your, I mean, at the very least with your fellow colleagues, but, but uh, um, you know, with, uh, with the administration. So I've had an opportunity to, to um, manipulate the, the actual way that we critique work in a very, um, in a very specific, you know, in a very tangible, very real, very material way and to see what the results of that are. So, you know, we, I mean, just simply put our, in most undergraduate programs in art and design, particularly in architecture, critique is seen as a form of defense of work where, where the student, you know, and I, I find that frankly, I find that I'm, I'm, I've given my children this, um, my, my, my actual children, my word that I'm, I'm going to stop swearing. So I, I want to use, I want to use the B U L L S H I T word, but with the, with the F U C K I N G on the front. Right. I think, I think that that, I think that that is, I think that that's just a load of, of garbage. I, I, not just garbage, but I think that what it, what it ends up doing is it ends up placing that form of critique, which is so prevalent across our culture and that you would find in almost every graphic design school on planet earth, mm-hmm. um, at the graduate level. And I'll talk about the undergraduate level in a moment is really what it ends up doing, um, to my mind is it, it, it places the emphasis on a linguistic armature talking that resides alongside the work. And that I see is, is hugely problematic. Now, on the undergraduate level, it's my belief that critique doesn't happen at all. And I'm talking about at the finest institutions in, in, in America that, um, yeah. that critique, what critique, you know, you know, um, uh, prescription. I, in, in one of my videos, I talk about this a lot, but pre- prescription is, masquerades as critique. So like the, the, the instructor says, right. mo- you know, yeah. move that over or, or make that red or what mm-hmm. that, that is, that is not critique. It's not critique. And that is not what we do. So, so, you know, what, what, um, uh, I don't know if I'm answering your question. Yeah. 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 You are. So I'm, I'm wondering, And this is bringing up a lot of other questions, but I want to finish this thread before I ask the next question. So, so how, how does it then work at Cranbrook? And I've heard stories from various people about, you know, kind of multiple days and people write kind of responses. And, Mm -hmm. um, so like, how does that kind of fit in to, to what you're talking about? Well, they, they, uh, People are, I, I guess, the 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 really the the shortest and most comprehensible answer is that 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 entire method of critique as defense that places the emphasis on what the individual said is thrown out completely. The individual who makes the work never actually speaks about the work, or never speaks about the, never answers questions about the work, and the 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 emphasis, the kind of um, the the responsibility is placed on the on a specific individual to write comprehensive uh, comprehensive um, written analysis theoretical analysis formal analysis structural cultural analysis 
of the actual work. And then there's a conversation that takes place around around the individual piece built um, in a dynamic way, most often led by me, but but built in a dynamic way uh, with um, the fellow the fellow students. But the things that we're avoiding is you know like um, that we're avoiding. Pre- Description masquerading as critique. We're also um, avoiding, to my mind, we're avoiding untrained psychoanalysis masquerading as critique. There's a whole oh, taxon- taxonomy of of um, of forms of critique that I've identified, um, and you know, and yeah. that that are in a play in art school that I don't believe actually um, uh, do that um, are effective for for uh, critique. And you know, it's interesting because I bet the the person who's writing the response of the other student's work, that's helping the other student who made the work, but then also in that process of kind of deep looking at someone else's work, that's then also filtering back into their own work. Absolutely. Well. And I mean, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that one of the one of the biggest problems that I have with with contemporary design practice is and it overlaps with our critique methodology. You know, the, the, the method, the kind of classical design methodology that I learned in undergrad has a, has a, has a real value. So when I'm when I'm about to attack it, it's not that I think that there's no value. Right. I acknowledge that that you know rationality and that the the method that I'm about to to kind of simplify <laughs> right. has some value. However, as with almost everything in our culture, I think that 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 it has choked out like some kind of invasive species, other forms of design uh, process that are that. Uh, so making it something that is um, uh, open to attack, and what I'm referring to is I'm referring to the idea that that you know one of the biggest problems with contemporary design, as I see it, is this notion that there's a research phase that is there quickly that is phasic that so is kind of a contained research model that then is followed by a thesis um, right. or or you know in plain and simple language your idea. <laughs> And then right. after that, after that, you you make the work, and when you make the work, you track all of your decision making back to to your your thesis or your your idea. And then in critique, what ends up happening is the um, the instructor, the professor, uh, you know, in 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 a, in a, in many different ways, but ultimately it boils down to them asking you what it, what is your idea, and then what they look for is they look for your the language that you're using alongside the work to right. to rationalize all of your decision making process tracking it back to your thesis or your idea now right now that's an oversimplification of but those are those tend to be those tend to be very um, discrete phases that can be tracked and very highly logical and very rational and i see i see both on the construction from the construction, from from the from the person making the work, that that approach is can be highly highly toxic, and that that critiquing the work based upon that model uh, is equally toxic, and that's why we find you know that's why we find. Sorry, I'm rambling, but I'll, and I'll, I'll wrap it up. But, no, but, no, no, keep going. I lo- I'm yeah. loving this. <laughs> okay, so so that's why we find you know um, we find. A lot of graphic design work and a lot of design work looking, looking, you know, um, 
attractive, mm-hmm. um, uh, benign, uh, well-made, but again, not exhibiting, not exhibiting any 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 power of character, any um, any kind of difference from uh, established canonical model. You know, right. in, in other words, things you know, things look like everything looks like, and it, do, it doesn't these days. But um, yeah, I mean, but this, I mean, this, I'm loving everything that you're saying, and this is really connecting a lot of different things that I've been thinking about because something I've something that's been on my mind a lot and and I'm kind of curious to hear your take on this now because I haven't connected it to the critique process the way you just did is how style is kind of the easiest thing to copy and Mm -hmm. so especially with students, but I, I think you see this with designers at all levels. And I'm definitely, I'm guilty. I don't, I'm not excluding myself from this, you know, want to be seen as a certain type of designer or want to make work that is seen as, um, you know, uh, like postmodern or, or, or modern or, or whatever. And then it has no connection to the process or to the ideas at hand, but it's like, I want to, I want to make work that looks like experimental jet set or meta Haven without kind of any of the stuff that happens behind that. Yeah. You know, I have, I have, um, I, I have no problem with progenitors. Uh, I have, I have problems and I've spoken about this in one of my things, but I have, with progeny I have, I have yeah. problems with I have problems with children not fathers and mothers and and, right. and I think the thing is is that when when people come into my department and they they their character is such and I believe it is a character issue is such that they that they desperately want to um, belong they want that des- desperately wants to um, exhibit through their work that they are contemporary and that they right. are part of this, a part of this, uh, larger global tribe that their work looks like any of the people that you just mentioned. Right. Um, I have a huge problem. I have a huge, huge problem with them and with that. And it's, <laughs> yeah. it's really, it's really simple to my mind again, which is that, um, think about in any other, in any other art form. Um, I, you know, this this obviously could be argued, but uh, but what do we value? We value we value um, the originality of Prince or Radiohead as an example. Right. And and at the point where you know one of the things I speak about to my students over and over is the, at the point where you know your work um, attempts to look like Metahaven. What what you're doing is you you have written yourself specifically. Right. Out of any out of any critical conversation about about being um, being excellent, being a baller, being being being, right. you know, like right. I don't want my work to look like any, not just look that way. I don't want to. I, I have I have zero interest, zero interest in having my, my perspective and my students' perspective come from anything other than their own unique. Um, unique viewpoint on the world and uh yeah i think it's really simple which is that that kind of that kind of that kind of ideology that kind of thinking of 
I want my work to look like you know this this uh, the latest hip design trend is such is such a toxic ideology. But I think the thing that most people don't realize, and I just said this, so I'll shut up. But the, the thing that most people don't realize is that what it does is it it places you in such an inferior position to the thing that you're aping. Right. That 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 it's it's um you know I would I would I would like to think that that both. I have more self-respect than that, and that my students are are more ambitious than that. Do you know what I mean? Like right. You should, yeah. You should want to stand on your own. Right. You want to stand on your own two feet. Yeah, and you know, I as you were saying that, it reminded me of of the video where you talk about this, which was the one I think was about Dutch design, which yeah. actually I think is probably one of my favorites that you've you've done. But the reason that I brought it up is because I had never connected it to the 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 undergrad critique model that is so right. often prescriptive and that that there are all of these rules that you follow to make good work and I think you see this in everything from the kind of aping of contemporary styles to even contemporary graphic design writing and criticism that is so often still using a kind of international style Bauhaus as the framework against which everything else is judged. So that's why you see when a company redesigns their logo, everybody has an initial reaction to that because of that kind of prescriptive critique, which I don't know if I've ever connected those yeah. so closely, but I think you're I think right. it's funny about that video, which is that YouTube not only YouTube demonetized that that video as being uh, oh. as being you know like I don't know if they they didn't characterize it as hate speech or anything, but it was I found found the whole thing absolutely ridiculous, and that that oh, wow. that video I think get I get you know I get people. I mean I have zero interest, absolutely zero interest in you know what what Dutch does as a as a kind of as a kind of umbrella term is about zero interest that does not mean and this is incredibly important and i thought that that my video went to that that went went to this place which is that doesn't mean that i don't respect right uh, that i don't respect the individuals who have labored to to uh, to create that culture i do it's just that the global fascination with Dutch design is a toxin. It's an absolute toxin. And, you know, I, I, I have zero interest in that. And not only do I have zero interest in it, I have a flagrant disregard for it. And I, right. try, to I try to cultivate a flagrant disregard for it, not only in my students, but in the culture that, that I associate myself with because of the fact that it, it's, it's not my history. Right. It's not my, you know, and, and I don't have access to that and I'm not interested in that, you know? And I think, I think that like the idea that like, I want to be a Dutch designer, it's like, okay, yeah, whatever, have fun with that, you know? Um, right. Right. I mean, and, and the thing that I liked about it, though, is is that's, you know, Dutch design is what's kind of looked at as, as, you know, what everybody wants to be right now. But I think you could apply that to anything. And I've, I've taught some undergrad classes and I, I've seen students and, and even, you know, practicing designers who, you know, will say, I want this to look like a Russian constructivist poster. Or I want this to look like Vignelli or, you know, anything when it with missing that all of those things were coming out of a particular place in time with a particular set of ideas that often don't have any relevance to the project at hand, you know, today in 2017. That's right. That's absolutely right. I have a couple questions to kind of just wrap all of this up. These are questions that I, I tend to ask everybody um, mm -hmm. as to kind of head towards the end of the conversation. Um, I'm, I'm curious you mentioned very early on at the beginning about how a lot of the work that you make and even the work that your former students make 
kind of live outside of what's often talked about in, you know, kind of design press, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm interested in, I, I have two parts to this question. I'm interested in kind of just your general thoughts on how graphic design is talked about within the profession. And then I'm also interested in kind of what things are, are missing that you think designers should be talking about amongst each other. Um, okay, yeah. Uh, I, I believe whether or not this is accurate or not and whether or not it's, um, well, whatever, I'm, I'm just going to speak um, honestly, which is that I believe that, that what we're, what we're doing in the studio is, is a, is a, a critically valuable component, um, of contemporary, both graphic design history, as well as graphic design, uh, culture. I think that, that, um, it is positioned in some ways in large measure in opposition, uh, to, uh, many of the many of the things that are uh, many of the uh, practices, cultural norms and practices of the of the mainstream culture, and therefore I think that it elicits um, some uh, it elicits a negative reaction from some people. I'm totally fine with that. I'm comfortable yeah. with that because I think that again, I think that you know, uh, I think that history history is the judge, not not individual. Um, so. Um, I, I believe that uh, that many of the issues that you, that you're talking about, how students will uh, will uh, want their work to look like Russian constructivism, as an example, or they'll want their work, they'll want desperately to right. to have their work uh, be perceived of as similar to Dutch design. I find I find I mean I, I have a hard time putting into words. My disdain for um, <laughs> yeah. for uh, both of those approaches, and I think that um, you know many of the many of the mainstream institutions uh, of design are concerned with with overtly concerned with the commercial context for mm-hmm. the work, and by the by the mainstream institutions, I'm referring to the museums, the the magazines, the educational institutions. Yeah, um, and you know I think. That in other in other fields, you know, in contemporary art as an example, or art history as an example, you know, the, there 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 was a moment where those fields became very expansionist, and the field embraced the kind of different the, those fields, architecture or or um, or uh, contemporary art or art, mm-hmm. uh, embraced uh, the more renegade factions of the field and and tried to lay claim to their to their to their methodologies to their history to try to to bring them into the tent or or never have them leave the tent you know right so my my issue is um is that look i think i think i think what i see my my graduate students doing is incredibly exciting i think that the work is really vital i i encourage them i really encourage them to have an active disdain for disciplinary distinction in any way shape or form to be able to borrow from any 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 history to be able to um, to uh, to make work uh, in any way that they see fit. Yeah. Um, 
and I think it's, I, you know, again, I think it's a really, I think it's a really vital and really important, uh, form of design discourse. Do I think that it, it, um, do I think that it, uh, you know, um, fits in perfectly or rubs people the wrong way. I don't think, I think it rubs people, some people the wrong way, but for good reason. Yeah. It's cal- it's calculated too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that, that leads into, to what my next question was, which I, I, I don't know the exact way to ask it because I, because it was kind of exactly what you're just talking about of these distinctions between fields. And, and that's something that I've always enjoyed about your work is that you kind of move between these different things from, from things that are very, you know, kind of clearly graphic design to things that are more sculptural or performance. And I was curious how those kind of other areas for you have changed how you thought about kind of, you know, graphic design in that very clear definition. Well, yeah, and that, that's it. I don't have a clear definition of it. And I don't, and I don't, and I don't want to, I, yeah. I love, I love, I love my education. I love you know, I talked about my undergraduate education being very strong found foundationally. And, and I, I mean, I, even though I, I, I ran into frustrating experiences, I feel like I got a fantastic, uh, foundation, um, um, educations. Yeah. So, so I, I mean, I see myself as a classically trained uh, graphic designer and I see like the, the kind of commercial art component of the whole thing. And I see those things as really, really valuable, really valuable aspects of my work, but you know, and not just my work, but my students' work, mm-hmm. and and um, you know, so I don't, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not bound to disciplinary distinction in any way, and I don't think it's a really important thing. If you if you fire up YouTube as an example today, or or Vimeo maybe, and you look at uh, at the cultural production that that we're looking at, it's hard to tell whether or not right. almost anything was produced by some kid in in China, or whether it was produced by a multi million dollar advertising agency disciplinary uh, boundaries have eroded completely you know one one la- one last thing and this is going to sound like i have a chip on my shoulder which obviously i do but um <laughs> you know so just i i, I just saw a lecture by uh, a colleague that was talking about you know talking about how you know performative performative i think this is a, this is a this in a nutshell would connect back to uh the, the previous question about like what we're doing at the department. I took a lot of shit, honestly, for, for doing performative based work as a, as a, uh, as a oh. graphic designer. And if you go back to like 1992 or, you know, even, even in, in grad school, um, Kathy and Michael McCoy were extremely, they were extremely, um, supportive, yeah. but I, I even had, you know, like a fellow student or two that were, was, were antagonistic towards doing performative based work. But so, you know, like doing black, doing performative, <laughs> performances in black box, the black box theaters yeah. in Soho in 1992 and 1993, you know, literally led me all over the world, like being on stage with, with three or 2000 people at the exit festival in Cray. Well, Kathy McCoy said to me this, she said to me, she said, you know, like I, we had a, we had a, a desk crit when I was a graduate student. I was like, man, I'm, I'm, you know, like I'm getting a hard time from, you know, one or two fellow students and they're, 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 I'm getting some pushback I should, that I should stop working on electronic music and we're working on performance work. And she said to me, Elliot, man, you just follow, follow your, you know, follow your internal. Yeah. Uh, and don't worry about, don't worry about how it fits in. You have no idea where it will take you. So it flash forward to, you know, 1998 or something and, you know, being interviewed on French TV and being, you know, in this 
theater for the exit festival, you know, like one of the headliners in the exit festival. And I think that the key, the key is don't let the small minds, you know, get you down. And that, and that, that, that I believe that our goal as humans is to find a path that only works for us, you know, and that my role as an educator is to encourage my students not to be sheeple, not to be mm-hmm. sheep people, not to be, not to want to be a Dutch graphic designer or a Cranbrook graphic designer. Fuck that. I mean, to, to, <laughs> right. to figure out, to figure out how to cobble together through the skill sets that they have a, a unique, um, studio practice that works for them. Yeah. Yeah. For them. Yeah. You know, and that this may, one, one last thing is it makes it sound like I'm, um, I, I think that, you know, if you're an apex predator in, in like in, you know, in Holland and you run your own studio or if you're an apex predator, you know, running a, a, a design firm in Manhattan, then I have, a, I have a problem. I don't have a problem with that at all. Like some people, some and not only do I not have a problem with that, it's like respect. I have a tremendous amount of respect for that. If that's right. if that's your path, then then then, you know, high five. Right. Yeah, I love that. I mean, that's it reminds me of my own graduate experience where there were a couple of us who were doing things that you know might not be i mean my graduate thesis was a podcast it was something that was completely audio uh and there was someone that did some music and someone that did kind of environmental installation things and there were some you know discussions among other students of whether or not that was graphic design and uh a couple of us stumbled upon a quote from the designer richard hollis the Mm -hmm. book designer who whose definition of graphic design was uh, graphic design is anything made by a graphic designer, yeah, uh, yeah. which became kind of our mantra through our, our thesis process, which feels very much in line with kind of how you're talking about it. Yeah. I, have, I have two more, hopefully, kind of quick questions for you. Sure. The first one is I'm, I'm, I'm very curious about how talking about your work, whether that's through YouTube or through interviews like this or through mentoring with students or, or studio talks, how has just that act of kind of talking about your work and sharing your process, has that changed how you actually work at all? That's a great question. Um, I, I believe that I believe that being forced, you know, as an educator, being forced to, uh, you know, at, at Cranbrook as an example, we're, we're not, I'm not lecturing when I give a lecture at, at the beginning of the year or when I, when I go, to a school to lecture. I'm, I'm lecturing overtly and primarily on my own work. Mm-hmm. So what I'm, what I'm forced to do is I'm forced to try to, um, I'm forced to try to communicate how, how it, what I'm doing and how it's working. Now I see, I see a lot of artist and designer lectures a lot. And sometimes I am staggered. I'm absolutely floored by how little effort went into into the lecturing mm-hmm. process into the into trying to communicate to people now i'm not wired that way you know my son is trying out is busy trying out for uh, his high school soccer team today and he he fucking lit up the the two mile run and and then the yeah. one mile run and the coach you know came over to me and talked to me and, and, and he's like you don't get that way by by sitting on the couch well that ethos right. i have i've worked whether it shows or not i've worked super super hard on trying to understand and trying to put language that is not academic, not overtly academic, yeah. but that actually that is actually you know relatable uh, to the kind of structures, the processes, the history, the 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 way that I'm working. And I, and I think the thing is is you know over a 
over a 25-year period, even before I was at Cranbrook, of lecturing all over the place, but actually trying to communicate, like, what's going on here? What do I believe is going right. on here? What is this? I mean, that is an incredibly valuable process for any artist or designer that I think very few people uh, very few people get the opportunity to do, but those that get to do it, they phone it in. I mean, I watch, I watch, I watch lectures, and I'm like, I'm like, you know, don't show me, don't show me <laughs> 50 slides of your work with no attempt to explain what's actually, uh-huh. explain in a compelling way what's actually going on, but so that's stuff has, has, has benefited me, I believe benefited me enormously. I don't, I can't point specifically to how, like to the, to the material. I mean, I'd have to think about it, but, but, um, but if you, one last thing is if you look at this, this episode where I show this thing called a precy, which is basically a diagram of an argument, that is something that I do routinely and regularly. And I have like a a number of top secret versions of those, which are very, you know, very confrontational to my own limitations, to the things that I think that I'm doing poorly, the problems that I'm experiencing, also the things I think I'm doing well. But that, that process of diagramming how I think my work fits in, where I think, you know, my work fails, where I think I've failed, what I think I need to do that, that has been incredibly, incredibly, incredibly powerful. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I, I loved that episode i didn't even think about kind of doing that you know just kind of personally even is, is a great idea oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. my last question is it is a two-part question and and you've kind of covered bits of it throughout but I'm, I'm curious who are the people that have you know whether that's you know artists designers writers or or even you know books or, or works of art that have really influenced the way you think about these things and and the way that you kind of work in the studio, and then the second part, which is kind of related, is just who are you reading, looking at now, who are currently influencing you? Yeah, that's an excellent question. This is always the hardest question. Yeah, I know. Um, I know. That's it, why I say you know, the end. Yeah, because uh, you know, I, I I whenever this comes up, it's just like my my mind draws a blank, which is crazy because the fact that I'm reading all the time and I'm also I'm also you know I'm I'm a voracious consumer of of uh, of media of of all varieties. You know, YouTube uh, just for the kind of cultural. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm really I, it's it's funny. I'm I'm a huge fan of YouTube, but not for the not you know not not because I'm producing a YouTube video, but just because of the fact that it's well, the structure of the, the media, right. Um, you know, in terms of influences, something that I think often, often catches my students by, um, uh, by surprise or whatever the expression is, is that, you know, I think in, I, I think in most, undergraduate programs and in many graduate programs there's a real emphasis that's placed on making sure that you know what the what the lay of the land is Mm -hmm. in your in your chosen discipline that you should be you know on blogs you should be reading design observer and you know whatever i don't know what the latest thing is and and i i've i've cultivated a even i mean from very early a, a um a kind of very willing uh, ignorance to, to, to those disciplines because I believe that I possess the formal capacity, right. Uh, through hard work, not through anything else, but through hard work to, to, to replicate nearly any, anything that I see, I, 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 I believe that I can, um, make the work look that way. So, you know, when my, when I, 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 I counsel my students to draw their inspiration from, um, 
from, uh, you know, Moby Dick, uh, or the corrections or, Mm -hmm. you know, um, or, uh, any, uh, any film literature, music rather than the field of design. Now with regard to, you know, with regard to theoretical, um, theoretical texts i mean it's 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 a never-ending like machine gun stream of stuff for everything from you know terry eagleton's after theory to mm-hmm. victor margolin's the struggle for utopia which is obviously more of a graphic design thing to ezra pound's abc of reading to to um to watching you know youtube videos of the kind of culture wars that are raging so right um that's a hard that's a really hard i mean it's it's more one of those things where i i need more i need more like time to yeah. answer it yeah mm-hmm. no i mean that was a that was that that actually was a great answer and it's something that i've again something i've been thinking about a lot is that i'm making this podcast that's about kind of how we talk about design and design criticism but i don't actually consume a lot of that anymore i feel like and i've realized that i'm reading a lot about film theory i'm reading a lot about media studies and and things like that and all that stuff's making its way in but the kind of you know, design discourse is something that has fallen away a little bit. Um, and so hearing you say that has, is kind of refreshing and, and encouraging actually. Yeah. 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 I think, it, well, I mean, I think you're, you're the, the, to my mind, what you're doing is you're producing it, you know, and, right. and that's, that's where I honestly, I'm not trying to curry favor with you or whatever, but I think, I think that what you're doing is exactly what I, what I encourage. I encourage myself and remind myself over and over is the important component. And, and I, and I discuss with my students, which is, you know, making culture and then making culture and then, and then positioning it in front of an audience. So no matter how small that audience is, no matter how large the audience is, I believe that, that work does not exist in a vacuum. If it exists in a vacuum, there's no point to it. So, you know, find, find two or three people to to look at the work and build it from there. So I, I don't, I, I personally think that, you know, that what you're the spirit behind what you're doing is right on is absolutely right on the money. It's everything that I'm talking about. It's, it's, you know, self-deterministic, right? Uh, it's an expression of your own interests. You're curating, you're not only curating, you're writing, producing, composing the whole thing. That's exactly, that's exactly a variation of, of what I'm referring to. It's, you know, it's, it's your path, man. And I don't think that, you know, I don't think that even though even you're talking about the inherent paradox of that, look, it's a design it's, it's right. yeah, yeah. at least loosely based on design. So you should know something about it. But I think, you know, maybe you don't need to, you know, maybe, you know, drawing your inspiration from other areas because you're producing design culture. Right. Right. Yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. Thank you so much. I mean, that was that was very nice. And that means a lot. And thank you for That's this true. conversation. Also, this was this was great and was so interesting and inspiring to me. I've been wanting to talk to you. We've been trying to schedule this for a while, so I'm yeah, glad we yeah. finally got to do it. This was this was great. So thank you so much. Well, I want to thank you as well. I mean, really, for for initially reaching out, I, I'm I'm a fan, and I and I, I think uh, you know more power, man. Stay uh, stay on the grind. I think that um, that you're doing a great job. So thanks for thanks for actually in, inviting me. I really appreciate it. This episode was recorded on August 10th, 2017. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening.